Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. You look good. And that's half the battle right there. Maybe 73.7% of the battle is looking good. And y'all look good. So, hey, um, <clears throat> I uh, normally am comfortable like just having a text that we're teaching out of. And um, we're kind of doing that, but not really. So if you have your Bible this morning, you're going to use it a little bit. I hope you're okay with that. And if you're not, um, I think there's some tissue somewhere and you can cry about it later. So, yeah, we're going to read our Bibles today because we're in church. So, um, yeah, man, uh, I am really excited to be up here. This is something that uh, has just been burning in my heart for a minute since I've known I'm preaching about this. I have been so excited, and um, I just want to say that I really feel like God wants to move our hearts in this area. And if we would be ready and willing to receive from Him, He will do that. Uh, you guys ever been to like a men's retreat, women's retreat, youth retreat, anybody ever? Men's retreat, something, women's retreat, youth retreat, something. Uh, Friday night, you get there, it's cool. Saturday night, what happens? It's like the bomb goes off, right? Uh, everyone's crying, there's snot, and it's just like repentance, and you feel God's spirit there. And, and here's, here's why. Because people are expecting it to happen Saturday night. You're expecting the message to move you. You're expecting the worship to move you. And so God moves. If our hearts would be expectant for God to move, he will move this morning. Yeah, I'm gonna cry. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you to move on our hearts. We need you to change our hearts, God. We just confess that we are um, broken and distracted people. Lord, there are so many things that pine for our attention and so many things that we give it to. Father, I pray that our eyes in this time would be solely focused on you. Lord, that your spirit would move, that as we approach your word, God, that you would do exactly what you, said, what you say it will do, that it'll pierce through our hearts, through the hard parts, that it will divide, that it will be truthful, and God, that it would stir us and move us to action. God, we can come to church uh, over and over and over again and not be moved by your presence. And I ask God that that would not be true of today. Would you move us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a feeling that I will be crying today. <laughs> if it's already starting off. We've been uh, going through a series. Uh, if you don't know me, I guess I should say my name's Kyle and I'm the youth pastor. So uh, what's up? Um, I'm allowed to say that because I'm the youth pastor. What's up? So <clears throat> we've been going through a series where we've been looking at the core values of our church. I love the fact that we're doing this uh, on multiple reasons. I love, um, I think it's super healthy for a church as a whole to understand and to be acquainted with um, what the heartbeat of the church you attend is. I think you should know that heartbeat. I think you should be uh, invested in that heartbeat. I think um, God has called uh, all these different churches to be part of the church with a big C, right? The, the overall body of Christ. But as a church, we have 
uh, kind of our own identity, obviously sealed in Christ and all of that, okay? Well, I'm going to kind of move past that general understanding and then say that each church sort of has its own personality. It has its own things. It has what's important. You might have some churches that um, their big idea is the exposition of God's word. And so all of the things they do in every event they're going to have, they're going to champion the exposition of God's word. You have churches like Grace, where if you uh, have been here for any amount of time, you've probably been able to figure out that discipleship is a big idea here, right? It's a big thing. It's a heartbeat. Now, are all of these things or should all of these things be part of a healthy church? Yes, and amen to that. But you're going to find different emphasis in different things. And so I think it's awesome for us to, uh, to begin to explore our core values together. I also think it's good because uh, God has been just growing our church. And so if you're new to Grace Fellowship, welcome. You're about to find out uh, why the youth pastor doesn't preach that often. So here we go. <laughs> uh, you are stuck now. Um, so we, we uh, have been kind of going through our core values. We only got a couple left, and I don't remember exactly the order we've gone in, but we've looked at a real relationships. Pastor Andy got up here and talked to us about real relationships and the value of having genuine community with believers. We talked about getting plugged into a life group. If you haven't done that yet, you absolutely should. Then Pastor Joel came up, and again, I don't remember the order, but Pastor Joel came up and he talked about generosity and generosity being a core value in our church. And we had Generosity Sunday. You guys remember that? It was really awesome. Uh, if you don't remember, let me refresh your memory. Uh, 100% of what was given on Generosity Sunday is, is uh, set aside to go back out to be used for ministry. It's not, it's not used to pay lights and salaries. It's, it's used outward. It's used to fulfill needs. And, and can, I just, can I just say, you guys like are awesome. $35,000 we raised on Generosity Sunday. $35,000 that are going into the community that are going to be used to glorify Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Uh, then Dave uh, came up and talked about team and collaboration last week, talked about how necessary it is and how, um, I mean, this one kind of goes hand in hand with real relationships, right? But, but how much better we are as a team and how, how critical it is and how uh, it is to understand that God has designed us to be part of a team. And so today we pick up with this idea of being externally focused. Can everyone say that? externally focused. So I'm super excited uh, to teach this. In fact, um, I met with Joel, I guess it would have been a, uh, maybe a couple months ago now. And uh, he said, hey, man, we're going to do a series through our core values. And um, we just decided this. So uh, which one do you want? And I was like, well, which ones are taken? And he's like, I'm talking to you first because you're here. And I was like, I get the pick of the litter? Like who? Me? Oh, my. I want externally focused. <laughs> it was quick and it was easy. I This is yeah, you'll, you'll get it. I'm going to get sweaty. I brought a towel just to be prepared. Like, it's happening. It's going down. I, I got an extra shirt under here just in case we really start. These pants, I should have got zipper pants, you know, just in case. Um, and I'm not sure if you know this, uh, uh, but, but uh, this is kind of cool, and it, it'll tie in a little bit. So Grace Fellowship Church, our church, is celebrating its 20th 20th year of, of being a church, 20th anniversary. Isn't that cool? That's pretty exciting. And as um, to celebrate that, we could, we could throw a party and have balloons. We could have 20 balloons, and that would be great. Maybe 20 cupcakes that we could all share. Um, but we're doing something, I think, that is more meaningful and closer to the heartbeat of God. Um, we, could, we could, I suppose, um, 
have a service, and a lot of times churches have had services or whatever, but we're doing something I think that's more meaningful. And what we're doing is we're going out into our community um, to do 20 projects throughout the year, 20 things and 20 ways that we as a church can go and meet needs in our community, that we as a church can go and love on those outside of our four walls and go shine the light of Jesus. So for our 20th anniversary, 20 projects, there's a bunch of information on it that you can find. Like this is still in the process. All of these projects haven't even necessarily been developed yet. So you might say, oh, you know what? I got an idea and you should probably talk to Andy or Joel about that. So Joel's not here. So go find Andy. And um, Joel is in Israel. I mean, can we all just be jealous of that for a minute? Yeah. All right. I've just been trying to curb it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. So um, and then next week, you guys have the opportunity uh, uh, to hear from Nathan about our last core value, which is multiplication. And so um, as we look at these core values and as we consider these things, um, the way I think of core values is <clears throat> I'm pretty, I'm pretty picture-oriented. I have to like, have a picture for something as to why it works and how it works, and then I can understand it. The way I think of core values is like this. I think of them like pillars that are holding something up. Um, I think of these core values that are holding up ultimately what our mission statement would be. And, and you would find this true for most organizations or nonprofits. They have core values. They have a mission statement. The core values are what they use to fulfill the mission statement, right? And so if you're not familiar with the mission statement of grace, uh, this would be a really good time for you to get acquainted with it, and you're going to learn it today. It actually comes directly out of Scripture. We find it in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says this. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we remember that this is Jesus speaking. This is, this is Jesus like he's on his way out, you know. He's talking to his disciples, and, and he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm headed out. And what you should be doing is going, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey their commandments, you know, do, do all these things, okay? So our mission statement comes directly from this verse, and our mission statement at Grace Fellowship Church is, you guessed it, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. I told you guys, remember, we're big on discipleship here, and you're going to hear a lot about discipleship today. And if we're going to shoot to accomplish something as a church, uh, if we're going to shoot to accomplish anything as a church, I feel like making disciples is an excellent place to start. I think it's an excellent heartbeat to have. And so today, I want to kind of set out to define some terms and put them in the perspective uh, um, and keep them in the, in the forefront of our mind as we sort of flesh out what it is to be externally focused. So as we would look at a mission statement like that, there's some digging that you and I can do. We would be able to take that, and you probably have been in church long enough that you don't have many questions about that mission statement, and you, f and you probably feel like, I could, that fits right here in my brain. It's good. I got it. Go and make disciples. I understand that. But I want us to kind of ask some questions again. Can we ask some questions? Yes? Oh, you guys, remember, I need feedback, okay? Yes. So we're just going to talk. Yes. We're just going to have a conversation. Can I ask you guys some questions? Yes, yes. of course I can. I'm going to do it anyways. So the first question I want us to ask, and I would encourage you to write some notes. If you, are, if you uh, uh, have the app, you can do it on the app, but um, they say that you would retain 70% more of what you hear if you took notes and, and then went back and looked at them within 24 hours. 70% more retention. Do you want more uh, of God saturating your heart and your mind? Yes. Yes. Take some notes and read them 24 hours later. Yeah, I, science is cool. Okay, so not my thing, but it's cool. So the question we should be asking ourselves then is this, 
What is a disciple? Go and make disciples. Well, go and make what? What is a disciple? That's a good question. And we find a pretty functional definition of discipleship. And if you've been through Discovery or you've been uh, through DS1 here, or you've been through some of our programs, you've probably heard some of this said before. You're going to hear a little bit of some of what I'm saying. Um, and if you stick around long enough, you'll hear it a bunch more times. What is a disciple? We find a functional uh, definition of discipleship in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, we see the, a functional definition of discipleship. Jesus is calling his disciples. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. Remember, he got baptized. The Holy Spirit falls on him. This epic moment, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's God speaking, but I can't do Charleston Heston. So that's as good as it's going to get. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and he goes into the wilderness and he spends 40 days, 40 nights. He's there. He's fasting. He's tempted by Satan. It's this whole big deal. He comes down out of the desert and he starts calling his disciples and he runs up on some people and he says, hey, 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 Matthew 4, 19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So at face value, if we're asking the question, well, then what is a disciple? At face value, we would say, oh, well, then I guess a disciple, if, it's, if the definition is here, then we would say the disciple is a fisher of men. Would that be fair? Kind of. But it's more than that, right? A disciple is someone who has kind of three characteristics. A disciple is, number one, Someone who is following Jesus, he says, he says what? Follow me. The first thing he says, follow me. Okay, so a disciple, we would say, is someone who is following Jesus. Number two, a disciple is someone who's been changed by Jesus. Someone who's been changed by Jesus. He says, follow me and I will make. That word make there, um, again, I'm, I'm not like a genius scholar, but I can read stuff that genius scholars have written. I love the internet, right? And so um, what, what we find is this word make is, is, is an idea of taking all of the same components, but creating something entirely new. I'm going to take you, Jesus says, follow me, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to make you. I'm going to change you, right? A disciple is someone who has been changed by Jesus. We're following Jesus. If we're a disciple, he's changing us. And then thirdly, we find that a disciple is on mission with Jesus. Everyone say on mission. On mission. In fact, Matthew uh, 4.19, we kind of like go back to it and you might be able to see these things broken down. Follow me is, fo is on mission or of uh, following, right? I will make is being changed and fishers of men is being on mission. You kind of see these three different parts there. Following Jesus looks like you have uh, uh, heard him, you have repented and turned from something, right? Today, we would say... Um, in fact, I saw, I saw a video of, uh, there's like this new thing, and, and the young people will get it, and some of you guys might not, uh, but, but there's just people that run up to people now and just pretend they're hosting interviews, and apparently everyone thinks they're like a surprise journalist. And this guy runs up, and he asks some stupid question, and the guy's like, 
I'm not answering that, man. You need to repent and believe the gospel. And I was like, yeah, go get him, gangster. <laughs> yeah, you go get him, dude. That's right. He, and, and they ask a stupid question again. He's like, nah, but here's my stupid question. And the guy's like, nah, repent and believe the gospel. And I love that. I love this idea of, man, to take this idea of repenting is to do a 180 degree pivot away from towards something. And so if we were to repent and follow Jesus, we're turning away from our old life. We're turning away from our old desires. We're turning away from our old sins. And we're now grabbing hold of and chasing after and following Jesus. And then he's changing us in the process, right? Because he's not asking you to fix yourself before you come. He's like, I'll change you along the way. You just follow me. I'll take you dirty. You don't got to take a shower before you take a bath. Why don't you just follow me and I'll clean you up real good. And And when we're changed by Jesus, what happens is we are indwelled by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is now living inside of us. You guys, this is crazy. The fact that God would be so generous as to give you his spirit to live inside of you, to help you live and navigate this life, to help you make decisions to that, so that you can actually do something that would be pleasing to him. He's going to enable the whole process because we can't do it for ourselves. That is some good news. That's fantastic. He says, so, so we're changed by Jesus and then we're on mission with Jesus, which, which kind of is another term that we need to define. What does it mean to be on mission with Jesus? And it kind of can look a bunch of different things. But I believe that we see Jesus's mission all over the place. As we read through the scriptures, you see like his mission is abundant and it's diverse. We recognize that there is a great mission to to redeem mankind. But I'm reminded of this one story where it's pretty condensed. Jesus sort of gives a condensed version of of his entire mission. This is the last time that Jesus is going to be heading up to Jerusalem for Passover. And he's passing through Jericho. You guys remember the story of Jericho marching along the walls and you remember, you remember the whole thing, they shouting, the walls come down and the walls came tumbling down. <laughs> you remember, if you were in Sunday school, <laughs> remember, you remember. Okay, so the last, this last time Jesus is going through Jericho, picture with me, okay? He's walking, he's got his disciples, no doubt there's people following him and he sees amongst the crowd, a man in a tree, Zacchaeus. He sees this man Zacchaeus up in the tree, and Zacchaeus um, is a crooked tax collector. Zacchaeus is a Jew who is uh, uh, charged with, his job is taking taxes from the Jewish people and giving them to the Roman people. And not only would that be considered a type of treason, like, dude, these are the people who are oppressing us, and you work for them? Are you joking me? It's like working for the federal government. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Why'd I do that? I don't know. Drink water. It'll all go away. <coughs> teachers are like, dude, um, teachers are great. Ashley, you're awesome. Okay, you're like right front row. I just, if someone's going to throw something, you got a better shot than anybody else. He's crooked because not only is he taking taxes from the Jewish people and giving them to the Romans, but he's taking stuff off the top. Like he's taking extra money from them so that he might be able to steal and be greedy and then give to the Romans what the Romans are asking for. He's crooked. Everyone knows it. Everybody hates this guy. On top of that, he's short. So they're probably making fun of him. Like, we hate you, you little short stack. Yeah, yeah, you little midget. We don't even like you. They make fun of him all the time. And Zacchaeus hears about Jesus coming and he wants to see Jesus and he wants to experience Jesus. He wants to know what this whole thing's about. But what's the problem? Well, Zacchaeus is real short, so he can't see in the crowd. So what does he do? 
he climbs a tree and he's looking. He has faith. He wants to see Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, yo, Zach, get down off that tree, dog. Probably in loosely translated. Yeah, I might have missed a couple things there. He says, get off that tree. And he begins to follow Jesus. He repents from and he follows Jesus. He, and, and Jesus. And we actually even see in this conversation with Jesus that Zacchaeus says, I want to make restitution for everything I've done. I've stolen and I want to pay it back times four. This is an exceeding of what the law would even require that he pays back. Like he's like, I just, I'll give half of my goods to the poor and I want to pay everything I've paid back times four. Like I repent and I am turning from this old life. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he's like, that's awesome. That's amazing. He calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Now, now genealogically, biologically, that would be true. He's a Jew. So he's a son of Abraham, but he's speaking to something deeper. He's speaking to the faith that Zacchaeus had to climb up on a tree, to look unto Jesus and to believe and follow him, to repent from his life and to now follow Jesus. He says, that is the faith that has justified Abraham. You guys remember Abraham has been justified by what? Faith. He says, that's the faith, that you're a son of Abraham. Yeah, biologically speaking, sure. And then Jesus, and, and so the people, Jesus is the, kind of the one and only time we see Jesus invite himself into somebody's house. <laughs> He's like, I'm going over to your crib, and you're going to make me some food. And all the people around are like, how disgusting that he would go over to Zacchaeus' house. He's a dirty tax collecting thief who ain't ever been nothing but a no good shorty. And Jesus says something in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I want you to read this because this is huge. Jesus says, when we're we're talking about being on mission with Jesus, what is Jesus's mission? The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Mm. The son of man came to seek, to look for, and to save the lost. And so write this down. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. If Jesus's burden was for the lost, then ours should be too. If our burden is not for the lost, then we do not have the same burden as Jesus. Then if we do not have the same burden as Jesus, then we are not going to be accomplishing the same mission as Jesus, which is to seek and save the lost. Listen, and, and, and hear me on this because it's kind of harsh, but if what, if what moved God's heart to action does not move your heart to action, your heart is not in line with God's. If what moved God's heart to leave heaven and step down into the creation that was broken, that would murder him, if what moved him to the point of giving his own life away does not move you, you do not share the same heart as God. If you are not so broken at the fact that people will be perishing today apart from the hope of Christ, and if that doesn't break something inside of you, we have a problem. We have an issue where we are now disconnected from the heart that God has and has displayed through Christ. And as we look at Luke 19.10, through, through, uh, uh, we see just this other term that we kind of have to clear up. Can we put Luke 19.10 up on on the slide one more time? We see another term that we have to clear up there. Save. 
Because it, it makes sense, right? Jesus came to save the lost. We understand the mission of Jesus. We understand the capacity of Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God who had no sin. When he talks about saving, he says, nobody takes my life, but I give it. So when Jesus says, I'm going to save people, we understand the motive, we understand the way he did it, we understand how that looks. But if we're aligning ourselves with that same mission as disciples with the mission of Jesus, then you and I are now about the same business of saving souls. You and I are about the same business. If we're not about the same business, then we're not in the family business of God. If our mission is to find the nicest church with the thickest padded seats so that our bum bums don't get sore from listening to the teacher talk, and then we go on our merry way, and we may or may not add a couple Bible verses to the back of our car, or hang a sign that says, gather in the name of the Lord in our kitchen, or do some of these pseudo-Christian things if we don't spend X amount of dollars at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A per month, and this is what it is to follow Jesus, we're not in the same family business as God. He's calling us to something so much more and so much deeper. Hear me on this and write this down. A Christian who is indifferent toward lost souls carries the disease of apathy. And apathy is the opposite of love. We would often say that the opposite of love, we would, we would say what? Hate. We would, that's probably what we would mostly say, but... but the opposite of love would be to not give a care in the whole world at all, to not show any concern for and to not care. If we're apathetic towards lost people, then what we can recognize is that if it's not love, then apathy is not compatible with the gospel. Apathy is not compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, Apathy is not a character trait of Jesus, so it cannot be a character trait of his disciples. I understand that that's a lot of things to write down, so take a picture or something, you know? Look at that, you're awesome. So the question we have to ask then is what heart should I have? What heart should I have? What does God want for me? And that's a really good question. So I want to take our attention and I want us to look at what Paul says. Paul writes a, another letter. Paul's written a bunch of letters. He writes another letter to the church in Corinth. And in this letter, um, the, his first letter to Corinth was like, y'all are crazy. What are you doing? What are you thinking? His second letter doesn't carry as much of an aggressive tone, but he's correcting some things. And, and so in this second letter uh, to the church of Corinth, Paul says this. You'll recognize uh, some pretty famous verses in here. Um, we're going to kind of key in on the end of it, but I want to I get it in context. Starting in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, were once regarded Christ, uh, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, uh, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen? It's a good verse. We love that verse. All this is from God. That's, that's a heavy statement. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone say reconciliation. There's something big there. All of it comes from Christ 
who has reconciled us to God. This idea of reconciled is that there was a relationship that is now broken. It is splintered and it is not whole. And, and Paul says, Christ has reconciled us back to God. Christ has taken a broken relationship, a damaged relationship, a separated relationship between man and God and has reconciled it. And then furthermore, he says, and he gave us, everyone say me, me. you, look at your neighbor and say, this is on you, bro. Uh, just so you know, in California, bro is a gender neutral term. You say it to everybody. Everything, it doesn't matter. Everyone's a bro. My mom's bro. And she, yeah, is that polite? Probably not, you know, but it happens. He says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, not marking how bad they were. He knew how bad they were. That's why he came not marking people's sins against them, and he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. Get this now, get this now. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are the representatives of Jesus to a lost and broken world. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal, his plea, his begging through us. That um, He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, this is the message that we take to the world, not on behalf of ourselves and not on behalf of a Bible. It's in the Bible, but on behalf of Christ himself. If Jesus were to say one thing through you, this is what he'd want to say. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. The relationship has been splintered and broken. It is now no longer one. And he says, be reconciled to God. How, church? Through who? Through Jesus, through the shed blood of Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message we have to now go and seek and save the lost. This is what we carry. This is what we yield. This is our weapon that we have. This is, this is the truth. This is the good news. This is the comfort that we have. This is the power to save for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. He says, be reconciled to God. God made him. Here's the gospel. Ready? Well, how? What do I say? I'm so glad you asked. Paul thought of that and wrote it down here. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who had no sin, who had no spot, who had no blemish, and he gave him the position of not just like some sin, he gave him the position of sin itself. He made him sin so that he could justly deal with sin and in exchange for his righteousness. Yo, when I talk about being about the saving of lost souls, I'm talking about being so moved that you no longer can look across the cubicle at the face of somebody who you know does not love or know the truth of the gospel. I'm talking about that you can no longer work eight hours a day next to somebody without sharing with them the hope that they would be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I'm talking about being burdened for your lost cousin who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about being the guy that, or talking about the guy that's bagging groceries that may not know the hope of glory that is found in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about us being so changed that our very actions day to day do not and cannot look the same. It can't look the same because if the same burden that was in Jesus is inside of us, then our hearts ought to be set ablaze 
And our lives ought to be poured out like Romans 12 says, as a drink offering, as an offering unto him to be like, dude, my life is yours, God. Everything that you have done for me, what do I have to offer except everything? Every single part of me, every single moment, every single dollar, every single person in my family, every single ounce of my time is yours, God. And you would begin to share that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My prayer for us is that we would be a church who are burdened for the lost. And so I say this excitedly. Doing 20 projects to celebrate 20 years of a church will be as meaningful for our community as our hearts are burdened for their souls. We can do 20 projects and accomplish 20 projects and we can have it mean nothing. We really can they will mean as much as our hearts are burdened for them. You hear what I'm saying, family? Our hearts have to break. My prayer is that there would be a face in front of you right now of someone that you know, of someone that you love, that you could begin to be the minister of reconciliation. Listen, we're in the Bible Belt where there's six billion churches doing six billion things, but there are few Christians who are, who are moved to a place of discomfort to share the gospel. <laughs> We're in a more saturated place of the world with Christianity than anywhere else, but there are few people who would be burdened to a place of discomfort to share the gospel. Would it be you? Can it be you? Can you have the same heart and the same mind as Isaiah the prophet who says, here am I, Lord, send me. And I'll close with this story um, that I want to share you guys and I'll call... Um, um, Phil, back up here. I want to close with the story of, of a man named John Hyde. And uh, John Hyde uh, was born in Illinois in 1865. John Hyde uh, sailed to in India in 1893 at the age of 23 years old to be a missionary. And he goes there and he goes with the burden for the people. And, and what, he, what he begins to do and how his ministry starts to unfold is it's this ministry of prayer. He became so well known for his prayer that, they were, that he was known as the man who never sleeps. He was also called the apostle of prayer. But more familiarly, more, more often than not, he was, he was known as John Praying Hyde. That's awesome. He often would spend, often would spend, 30 days and 30 nights in prayer, and many times on his knees in deep intercession for 36 hours straight. This wasn't an uncommon practice for him. And his work among the villages was so successful that for years, he led four to 10 people a day to the Lord. Four to 10 people a day for years at a time. Because he prayed, because his heart was broken. And he, he was a man of prayer and he would weep and he would cry out to the Lord on behalf of the lost souls. And after some time, John went to the doctors and they began to notice an infirmity in him, in his heart, that his heart was beginning to deteriorate and something was wrong. And what they told him is that he was emotionally straining himself too much in prayer that he needed to withhold himself from the emotional strain or it would cause a damage in his own heart. And what happened is he died on February 17th of 1912. And his last words were, shout the victory of Jesus Christ. And do you know why he died, church? His heart had shifted over an inch in his chest. Literally, he had put so much stress and strain for lost people that his heart moved. 
not figuratively, and it killed him. I know, like pretty darn appealing. <laughs> I talked to Phil and he's like, That's, I don't know that you're going to sell anybody with that one, man. <laughs> Here's my request. For a little bit of time, we don't got a ton of time. I don't know how much time we got. We got a little bit of time. Um, get with three to five people. Get with three to five people right now. And we're going to put some prayer targets on the screen that you would ask God to move in your heart for the lost, that you would name and pray for lost people, and that you would ask God to break our heart for the things that break His. That that would be the place. Break my heart for what breaks yours. My request is that people wouldn't be praying alone today. That we as a church would get together, find some people, grab some people, and pray. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.